is what we came to do today. We're coming together to read the word of God, um, to engage in what I call a meditational reading. And what we're going to do in this meditational reading is we are going to ask ourselves three questions. What, what is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? So this isn't uh, a Bible study per se. This is more about a reflection. And, and really the purpose for our time together here is I want you to know what my priority is. My priority is to read through the entire Bible with you. I want to read through, through the entire Bible with you so that you can say, so that you can say that I, that I have read through the whole Bible. I think for most believers, they can't make that attest, uh, attestation. They can't say that, um, that they've read through the totality of the scriptures. They can say, maybe I've read through a book or a couple books of the Bible, but to say that they've read through the entire Bible, uh, most Christians will tell you, uh, no, I haven't read through the entire Bible. So we want to change that. And that's why we're here. We want to read through the entire Bible um, for 20 to 30 minutes every weekday. And so we read through the entire New Testament. Now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. And um, and we're just going to rant. And so after I read, I'll spend some time in reflection. I'll rant about where the Lord is leading. And then after that, um, you know, we'll we'll. We'll shut it down. So that's why we're here. I'm encouraged by you. I'm encouraged by you, um, um, Adeline. Um, I don't like identifying myself as either uh, Catholic or Protestant. Um, I want to identify myself as a child of God. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Um, and you, if you spend some time with me, you're going to get to understand what I mean by that as we read through scriptures. Because... Uh, there's there's there are plenty of holes in uh, the Catholic uh, tradition, and there are plenty of holes in the Protestant tradition. Um, and so and, and you'll see that as we're reading through the scripture. And that's why I want to read through the Bible with you. Um, but I, I hate that identification. I just like to identify myself as a Christian um, and and we'll take it from there. I'm a child of God, reading his word to hear what God has to say. So, Father, speak to us. Lord, as we engage in your word today, Lord, I pray that you would give us fresh revelation, Lord. Lord, convict us where we need conviction. Lord, strengthen us where we need strength. Reveal to us what we need revelation for. And bless us, Lord, as we engage in your word today. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, Exodus 26. And so we'll read for about 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes, eh, about 20 minutes. And then afterwards, I'll be ranting about whatever the Lord is leading me to as I'm reflecting over those three questions. What is the Lord revealing concerning himself? What is the Lord revealing concerning people? And what is the Lord revealing concerning me? So let's read. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of fine woven linen and blue, purple and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, the width of each curtain, four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. 
and you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage of one set and likewise you shall do on the other edge of the other curtain on the second set 50 loops you shall make in one curtain and 50 loops you shall make in the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set that the loops may be clasped to one another and you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that they be one tabernacle you shall also make curtains of goat's hair to be the tent over the tabernacle you shall make 11 curtains the, the length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits and the width of each curtain four cubits and the 11 curtains shall all have the same measurements and you shall couple the five curtains by themselves and the six curtains by themselves and you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain of the second set and you shall make 50 bronze clasps put the clasps on the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one the remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, still hang over the back of the tabernacle. And a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. You shall make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above it. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing, standing upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of the board and a cubit and a half shall be the width of each board. Two tenons shall be in each board for binding one to another. Thus, you shall make all of for all the boards of the tabernacle and you shall make the boards for the tabernacle. Twenty boards for the south side. You shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. And the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the far side of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six boards, and you shall also make two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. They shall be coupled together at the bottom, and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus, it shall be for both of them. They shall be for the two corners. So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. And you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle for the far side, on the far side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end. You shall overlay the boards with gold. Make their rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon the four sockets of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be the divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony 
of in the most high, in the most holy, sorry. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lamp stands across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle woven of pur blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold. And you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. Hmm. You shall also make uh, an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horn on its four corners. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay it with bronze and you shall make its pans to receive its ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans. You shall make all of its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze. And on the network, you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath that the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards. As it was shown you on the mountain, so shall they make it. You shall also make the court of tabernacle. For the south side, there shall be hangings for the court made of fine woven linen. 100 cubits long for one side and its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets shall be bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver. Likewise, along the length of the north side, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long and its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze and the hooks of the pillars and their bands of silver. And along the width of the court on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. And on the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. For the gate of the court shall be a, 20, a screen 20 cubits long woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and a fine woven linen made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars and four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver. The hook shall be of silver and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the width 50 throughout, the, uh, 50 throughout. And the height five cubits made of woven linen and its sockets of bronze. And all the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service, all its pegs and all the pegs in the court shall be of bronze. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to be to burn continually in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statue forever to the generations on behalf of the children of Israel. Chapter 28. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nabib, Abihu, Eliezer, and Thamar. 
and you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all the gifted artisans whom have been filled with the spirit of wisdom that they make Aaron, Aaron's garments and to consecrate him that he may minister to me as a priest. And these garments, which they shall make a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as a priest. Hmm. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and the fine linen, and they shall make an ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, a fine woven linen, artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joining at its two edges, and, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread. And fine woven linen, then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone hmm. in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in the stone, like the engravings of signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold and you shall Put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. He shall also make settings of gold. He shall make two chains of pure gold like banded cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. He shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. You shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stone in it. Four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. They shall be the first row. And the second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agite, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold. And you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And you shall put the two braided chains of the gold of gold in the two rings, which are on the ends of the breastplate and the other two ends of the two braided chains. You shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make the two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which is in the inner side of the ephod. And the two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the, to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord that <clears throat> it is above intricately woven band of the ephod and so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. 
So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Verse 31. You shall make the robe of the ephod all blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. And it shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around, a golden bell of pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the rope all around, and it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers. And his sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on the blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And you shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them, for the glory and beauty. And so you shall put them on Aaron your brother, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist of their thigh. They shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting. And when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Um, this will be our last chapter. And I got some thoughts here. Um, Exodus 29. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish and the unleavened bread and the unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. <clears throat> you shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate and, the, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban, and you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons, 
and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. You shall have the bull brought before the tabernacle meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. You shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of the meeting, and you shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall also take one ram and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. You shall kill the ram. You shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma and an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall take another you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their heads on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his son, sons, on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his son's garments with him. And you shall take the fat from the ram, the fat tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys, and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration. One loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these things in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering to the Lord and you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the beast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering to the Lord and you shall be and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the beast of the wave offering, which is waved and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised of that, which is Aaron and of that, which is his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by statute forever, for it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings. That is their heave offering to the Lord and the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That son who becomes priest in his place shall be put, shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting and ministers uh, and, and, and to minister in the holy place. Hmm. 
and you shall take the ram of consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them, but an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for the atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. We'll close out here. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah, a flour mixed with uh, flour mixed with one fourth of a hen of pressed oil, and one fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, as you shall offer with a grain offering and a drink offering, as in the morning for the sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and be with their God. Sorry, and be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. It's intense. That's intense. Um, reading from Exodus 25 to Exodus 28. So we read four chapters today. Oh, no, sorry. Exodus 29. Um, we read four chapters today. I can tell you these are uh, unfamiliar portions of scripture for many. No one spends a lot of time here. Um, no one spends a lot of time in this portion of scripture. Um, for, for, for many reasons. I think, I think one of the reasons is because it seems very, very intricate and convoluted. And so it's, it's almost like it's so complex and intricate and complicated that you know what I just let me just go on to something else because this is a lot so we just kind of just glaze over it you know what I mean like we just kind of just glaze over it like, ah, alright I'm done moving on 
And I get it. I get it. Um, but there's something to to learn here. Um, actually, there's a lot to learn here and a lot to unpack here, which we just we we don't we don't have the time for that. Let's just be real. Like if I were to sit there and really work through um, the intricate detail that God goes through in the tabernacle and and and, and to and to actually make sense of that even even today i'm still i'm just gonna be honest with you even today i'm learning even today i'm getting something new even today i'm i'm still gaining understanding of the incredible complexity and the necessity of that complexity that god gave to the children of israel in instituting and building the tabernacle. So we don't have all that time, but I will start with this and I will say this because remember, we, we, we want to know what God, what is God speaking into today? What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? What is God revealing concerning me? What, what, what am I hearing from this as I'm reading it? So I'm going to take it from that perspective. Okay. And, and I want to just preface a little bit based off of what I said to you yesterday. If you remember from our read and rant yesterday, as we read the prior uh, chapters to these chapters, is um, I'm, I can't say this enough, how important it is for us to read this particular portion of scripture within the context of the grand narrative of the people of God. If you read this in isolation, it, it, it kind of turns you off a little bit. Let's just be real. Nobody wants to see an architectural plan unless you're an engineer. If there are any engineers in here, great, awesome. But most people do not get excited to hear the details and the intricacies of an architectural plan. Nobody, nobody cares much for that. I, at least I don't um, care much for that, okay? But what we said is, is that we have to, yes, that's right, Jason. We have to read this as observers of a work that God is doing in this particular point in history that has implications for us today. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, is that we sometimes, we often read Exodus like it's for us. <laughs> you zone out. Um, I read often, and I've done it before, and I believe many of us do it. We read Exodus like it's for us. And because we read it, as if it is directly written to us, not, not, not necessarily for us, but to us, we lose the grand story. We lose it. We lose the grand story. So we read Exodus like this is stuff that I have to do, not realizing, no, this is something that God had commanded a particular people to do. Even the Ten Commandments and the 50-something laws that follow the Ten Commandments as we read it afterwards, those things were not written to us. They were written to the children of Israel because God was setting the children of Israel apart to be a nation of priests, to bring revelation of who God was to the other nations. Is anybody understanding that? So now I'm reading this as an observer. Okay. I'm reading this as an observer. Okay, I want to make sure because we get so we get lost in the sauce sometimes when we're reading 
uh, uh, um, the Mosaic law. We get lost in the sauce sometimes when we're reading this law because we read it like, okay, these are things I need to do. No, back up. This is not things you need to do. This is things that God had instructed a particular people that he had instituted a covenant with. I know I was losing some of you yesterday, so I wanted to bring that up again. Okay. I want to bring that up again, that, that he has, he, he's made a covenant with Abraham, that Abraham would bring the blessings of God to many nations. Okay. Not just one nation, but that, but that Abraham would would institute a family that would bring the blessings of God to many nations, that it's through his family, his seed, okay, through his seed, that many nations would be blessed, that God would be revealed through his family. Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. We read all of that. If you want to go back to the reading and rants again, we have them on Facebook. Just follow the Facebook group. It's the font everywhere on Facebook. But Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God, overcomes. His name is changed to Israel. He has 12 sons. These 12 sons moved to Egypt. And they move into Egypt. They stayed too long. They became a nation inside of a nation. And as a result of becoming a nation inside of a nation, they, uh, they fell into bondage. Then they're released out of Israel, and now they're in their world in the wilderness, returning back to the land that was promised to them. Okay. Now, in returning back to the land that was promised to them, on the way there, God is reinstituting and reestablishing their identity. He's reinstituting the promise that He gave them. Okay. He's reinstituting what He had already promised through Abraham that this nation would be a nation blessed. Okay. Notice he ain't talking about you. Okay. He's not talking about you yet. <laughs> okay. He's talking about them and we have to read it that way. We have to read it that way. Okay. Family, we got to read it that way. That's how we get lost. We get lost when we start reading the, 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 this mosaic law as if it was written to us. It's not written to us. Okay. And so now you, 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 um, so, so, so now these people, these people, have been set aside. They've been set aside now to be a peculiar people, a peculiar people set apart to bring God's righteousness and justice on earth. That, that, that social justice and righteousness will all be instituted through these people. All right. Hope you see that. And that this rule that these people have is a rule of incredible sacrifice and service. Not of power. Like a lot of people or of economic force or economic might. But that these people would be set apart to reveal God to the world. And so God makes a covenant with these people. That by these laws that he's instituting, beginning with the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments was kind of like a prelude to the law. Okay? It's kind of like the prelude to the law. And so he gave them, not us, remember that? He gave them, not us, <laughs> kind of keep saying that. He gave them the Ten Commandments and the laws that will follow it to undergird the Ten Commandments, to that they would follow so that they would be shaped into the people that would bring the righteousness of God on earth. 
This is important. This is important. Because now we now we're rereading the text. We're not reading Exodus 20 and 21 as these are rules that we need to follow to be good Christians. We're reading this from a whole different vantage point now. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to shift your vantage point that now we are reading the Bible. We are reading the text from the historical narrative and to see how the implications of that historical narrative lead us to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Okay. And that's why sometimes we lose the, that, you know, again, this is just, I, I told you guys, just, just bear with me because we're ranting here. Um, um, I really believe this, that the reason why the cross and Jesus, the reason why just the message itself is diluted is because we are infiltrating this sort of legalistic, follow the rules thinking into the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and into the salvific work of God and in the work of what God is doing to reconcile all men to himself. So the, the, so the message of Jesus Christ gets diluted in sort of this old covenantal thinking. And so we take this old covenantal thinking and we try to superimpose it on the gospel when we don't understand that the covenantal thinking was meant to prelude the work that Christ would do in fulfilling that covenant and to make that covenant of no effect now to us because that covenant has been accomplished in Christ. So we miss that because we're so busy trying to follow the rules that we miss out on the work that Jesus has done. But Jesus said, he, he said he didn't come to abolish the law, but that he came to fulfill it. And this is the law that Christ is fulfilling. So if Christ fulfilled the law, and if in Hebrews, as we read before, that he's made the law obsolete, what does that mean? That means that he's made the, he's made the law of no effect. The law is ineffective. Not some of the law, all of the law is ineffective. How did he make it ineffective? He made it ineffective in that he now has fulfilled that law. And so in him, by faith, we fulfill the law. So what I'm saying to you is, is I'm saying when you read this, because we kind of read it with a cheat code, right? We read it with a cheat code. We read the, the New Testament already. Now that we're here, you cannot read this and read it like it's a bunch of rules that we ought to follow. As a matter of fact, you have to separate yourself from it. You have to separate yourself from it. This is not to you. The Ten Commandments was not written to you. Okay? The, the laws that you read here are not written to you. <laughs> okay? All right. Sorry for that little mini rant because I'm getting to my point. I'm getting to my point. If the law, and we're going to be, we're going to end a lot of these things with tensions because I need to leave you in some tensions. Okay. I need to, um, as you're working this out. So what we just read just now, what we just read just now brings into fruition what God promises to fulfill. If the children of Israel follow this particular law, 
if the children of Israel, once they made the covenant, remember, they made the covenant with God. The children of Israel made the covenant with God. They make the covenant with God. And in response, God promises his presence in the midst of the people. So they make the covenant with God. Notice now that as the institutors of God's righteousness on earth, now the presence of God is with them wherever they go. Look at the message now. We're beginning to see what God is trying to reveal here is that when people are chosen by God and they fulfill the covenant of God, these people, when they fulfill the covenant of God, the presence of God goes with them. And so God says, I want you to build a place that makes real physically incorporeality of my presence because my presence hasn't been here. My, when I say the presence, God is everywhere, but the presence of God we're talking about is the manifest presence. So my manifest presence is here. Okay. And if my manifest presence is here, I want that wherever you go, that this presence goes with you. We're going to see that in actually in our next reading, how important it was now to the people that the presence of God remains with them. So he says now to make real my presence to the people, build this tabernacle so that when they see it, they're reminded that I am with them. So he tells them to build the tabernacle. Now we just read this, this tabernacle has been built with incredible meticulous detail. We see all this detail. And even though I don't have enough time to really break that down for you, but I want you to think of one uh, of a few things is that tabernacle. As I'm reading the text, I'm going to kind of, okay. I'm doing, I'm going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit. This isn't full Bible study, but I know a little bit about something. So I'm going to bring it here that the tabernacle symbolized something. Every element of the tabernacle symbolized something. There was a, a, a meticulous detail. God was speaking a message into every part of the tabernacle in every instance. And so, and so there, every element of the tabernacle was pointing to something. Now, all these things that the tabernacle pointed into was intended to point back to something else. The tabernacle was intended to point back to Eden because Eden was the time within a parcel of land that the manifest presence of God resided with mankind. And so it was pointing back to Eden the tabernacle was Eden. And we're going to realize that the tabernacle later on, we're going to see that the tabernacle is Christ. But that's another conversation for another day. But we, we let's, let's take it one step at a time. We can't rush this, okay? Oh my gosh, I'm already going to run out of time. Um, so stay with me. So, so the tabernacle was to remind the people of Eden. So essentially what they were doing is they were rebuilding an emblematic image of Eden. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
they were rebuilding an emblematic image of Eden that God was giving a foreshadow that his presence would be with them. And his presence was with them. Understand this, Eden, I know often people make Eden a geographical location. No, Eden is a state of being. Eden is where God and man are in covenantal union. That's what Eden is. When Eden was lost, it's because God's covenant with man was broken. Okay? That's why people are always looking for Eden. If it's, where was Eden located? Show me where Eden is. Well, we could tell you that there was a geographical location, but God's intention was to bring Eden on all the earth. The, all the earth was intended to be Eden. And what God is doing is he's actually establishing a new Eden. Um, and so he's, he, he, he's doing a work on earth. He's not trying to destroy the earth, by the way. He's trying to restore the earth. We just read, go back to our revelation study. You, you can get, go back to that. So, so this is really what, it, what he's doing is he's, he's instructing them to construct a physical image of Eden that everywhere they go, they would take Eden with them. And so every element in the tabernacle was pointing to an element of what the Hebrews would understand as Eden. Okay. I wish I had more time to really break all that down, but I really want to point to that. I'm not, I'm getting to the word. I'm getting to my point. I'm getting to my point. Um, all those details speak into to, to a character of God that God is very, very meticulous that God is very detailed that every detail every minuscule microscopic detail is ordained and instituted by God. God cares about every element. God cares about every element of what he's doing. He's very meticulous. As I read this, I'm being reminded of how meticulous he is. God doesn't just know the big picture. He knows every element and every iota. And in our lives, God knows every single minuscule detail of what's going on in our lives. He knows every crevice of our mind and soul. He knows it. He knows every little element of what's going on with us. He, he knows us better than we know ourselves. We have nothing to reveal to God because even in God's grand story, every meticulous detail of the story has been instituted by God. God is in it all. He's in all of it. He's in all of it. Funny how sometimes when we pray to God, we think that we're informing God of things, not realizing that we're just here to have a conversation with him about things he already knows. And yet the work that he's doing is so meticulous. It's so uh, detailed. It's so, um, this is what God does. This is what he does. This is how he operates. This is how he functions. He's, he's all about the intricate details. And so he shows us that, that Eden was a place of meticulous, intricate detail. That's what he's doing. And now when he brings the tabernacle, he's, he's telling him all these details and every detail matters. Every measurement matters. He's, he's judging everything. Everything matters. And he's saying, if you're going to, if this is going to represent my presence, it better look exactly like this. 
because every part of my presence, every part of who I am, there's a story behind it. There's a reason behind it. There's a message behind it. There's something behind that. And, and so God is revealing that to the people. And so when they come in, there's a certain discipline that they have to have before the presence of God because they know that every part and every corner of this place has already been ordained and instituted by God. This is who God is. That when we come in the presence of God, everything's already ordered. Everything is already divinely and intricately ordered by God. And we're reading the story because this is we're we're just we're just we're, we're taking steps into the story of God, looking at it from the perspective of God now, calling the children of Israel, setting them apart, and telling them now that by their instituting the covenant along with Him, this agreement, this contractual agreement between the children of God and between uh, God and the children of God, that the presence of God now would reside with them, that everywhere they go, they bring God with them through this covenant. Oh, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. That's incredible. And yet, when we see this meticulous detail of God, we should, in essence, also be burdened. Because God has a level of order and intricacy that we cannot meet up to. The children of God, the children of Israel, the people that God has set apart, cannot actually fulfill this. We're going to see that through the scripture. Oh, the discipline that it took for them to be the emblematic image of God, to, the, the discipline for them to be imagers of God on earth, to be the family that brings righteousness and justice on earth, burnt offerings in the morning, burnt offerings in the evening, every day. And the priests that they were called to be, priests are simply representatives. And we see the detail of all the things that had to be done for the priest, the priest, the priest. The priest was the representative of God, the mediator between God and man. That was what the priest was. The priest stood in the fold, mediating. Huh, this is crazy when you think about this, because the priest, the priest spoke to God for the people and the people spoke to the priests in order to speak to God that even with the law and even with the with the cognizance of the presence of God they still did not have access to him Whew. they still did not have access to him no matter how much blood was sacrificed, how much they came with the oil and how much the, they, they, they came to perform those sacrifices, they still did not have access to God. A priest had to. And they had to adorn this priest because that priest was, a, was the representative image of God. So the priest was a separation between God and man. So there had to be a distinction when the priest put on the ephod. When the priest put on the garment, the purpose of the garment was to show the distinction between him and everyone else. And the unfortunate reality is in many of our churches. I'm sorry if I come hard now. Stay with me. I'm ranting. I'm sorry if I come hard now, but I got to come hard. 
is we have made pagan things sacred. I like how you use that word, Arliss, sacred. We have made pagan things sacred. We have, we have taken things today and superimposed them and have made them God. And because we've made them God, we wonder why we cannot have access to him. Our churches now have to somehow distinguish the pastor as the priest. And so we put all this fancy garment on him. We put all this fancy garb, dress him up real nice. Make sure he looks fancier than everybody else because there has to be a distinction between the pastor and the priest and the rest of the people. And we wonder why we don't feel like we can get to God unless we speak to the pastor. We make the pulpit. We make the pulpit. This, this is what happens when we get stuck in covenantal, old covenantal thinking. We find ourselves here with the children of Israel set apart, but without access to God. I call that the spiritual sunken place. When we know there's a setting apart that God has given us faith, but we haven't taken it far enough to know that we've been liberated from the law and that now there is a mediator between man and God and that is Christ. And if I'm in Christ, then I have direct access to God. I'm speaking into this because for many of us, we're still waiting to go to a priest to speak to God. Where's the man who's dressed up real nice? Who's got all the intricate details? He's the one who has access to God. That's where we are. And for many people and for many Christians in the church, we're stuck in Exodus. And if you know, <laughs> Exodus is when they were still in the wilderness. They were in between the promise and bondage. It's a different form of purgatory. It's a doldrum, a spiritual doldrum. It's a quagmire that many Christians find themselves in, that they receive Christ, but they don't receive the fullness of his resurrection. And so they sit there. When they go through something, they wait for a pastor or a preacher or a prophet to come and speak on behalf for them as if they don't have the power. When, when, when they commit sins, they have to go to a priest to confess their sins. Because if I don't confess my sins to a priest, then, I, then, I, then I'm not liberated. As if the priest is the only person who has access to God. And yet, and yet, this is the freedom that we have, but we're stuck here. This is before Christ. I want to make sure everybody understands this. This is all the things that happened before Christ. And this is the consequence of the children of Israel. They came with the presence of God, but they did not have access to him. <sighs> Coming with the presence of God and not having access to him. Wow. What are you asking, Gary? Because I'm going to my final point, because this is a word of encouragement. 
There are, while you send that to me, Gary, my word of encouragement today is that even then there was a powerful work that God was doing. The work that he was doing is he was beginning to build up the, the profound, complex, incredibly powerful work that Christ is about to fulfill. He's revealing the profundity of the work of Jesus, Yeshua, of Christ. And he's revealing that to us. Was the journey to the promised land supposed to be shorter? Absolutely. Um, the distance between uh, uh, where they were in Egypt and the promised land should have taken them at the longest three weeks. Some will say at a decent pace, two weeks. Instead, it took them 40 years because they weren't ready. It's another message for another day. They stayed for 40 years and then 40 years. Yes, the distance between Egypt and the promised land was shorter than the distance between Miami to Jacksonville. <laughs> um, it doesn't take 40 years. It does not take 40 years to take a group of people from Miami to Jacksonville. In this case, 80 years. It doesn't take 80 years to do that. <laughs> um, it took them 80 years because they weren't ready. Now, going back to my word for you today. I'm sorry. I, I'm all over the place. I'm, I hope this is a blessing to you. I know I'm just, I'm jumping all around. Um, but this priest, I want to stay on the priest for a second because he's, he's, what the Lord is doing is establishing a nation of priests and the priests are representatives of God. But because they had not yet received him, they needed a representative in order to become a representative. And that representative was the high priest along with his sons, Aaron. And God now is distinguishing the high priest from everyone else by the clothing that he wears. He anoints him. And then this priest would wear this garment, the breastplate, the ephod, the cord, all these things, these elements that make the priest, that distinguishes the priest from the rest of the people. Because again, Somebody had to be put aside to mediate between man and God because man was distant from God. And here's my word of encouragement, because the one thing that sticks out to me, and I don't know why I have to say this, but I just feel the Lord is leading me here. There are designers in here. There are artists. Hmm. There are artists in here. There are fashion designers in here. There are clothing designers in here. So I want to speak to you guys. I want to speak to you for a minute. Who are in this chat right now, I want to speak to you. 
there's a, a a heavy weight of discouragement in this uh, in this in this room in this chat right now. So I'm just gonna be led by the spirit. Um, there's incredible discouragement here uh, for the fashion designers, the the artists. There's a, there's a whole bunch of you in here. Um, if you're a fashion designer, I want you to just send a hand emoji. If you're in the fashion industry, like you're you're in the fashion business, um, it's a lot of artists in here. Like you you draw. Uh, just just raise your hand. I, I have I have a word for you, artists. Good. I want to see all of y'all. I I got a word for you. I got a word for you. I just. There's a lot of art. I don't know how y'all just showed up all of a sudden, but uh, God has a word uh, for you. Um, Great. Whitney, Digital, Digital Con, Brina, I got a word for you. Um, Tishiamo, I got a word for you. Tori, got a word for you, Tori. All right. Great. Great. Um, for those of you who are in the fashion industry, there's a deep level of discouragement right now that I that I sense in this um, in this chat. Um, I'm going to tell you the beauty. So I'm going to speak into some things, and then you're going to hear the word uh, that that the Lord is giving me as I've been reading. Because there's a lot of just creative people in here, just designers, and 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 yet this is a time of incredible discouragement for you. So I have a word for you, okay? Um and I want you to remember this in in Exodus 28. And this is where I want to lead you, okay? I'm just going to go where the Lord leads right now. Uh GA3 greatness, awesome. Gary, awesome. Um There's something that the enemy is trying to snuff from you, and it's your joy. Your joy and your passion for the thing, the creative uh, anointing that God has given you. So I'm just going to go as the Holy Spirit leads right now. Okay. Uh, In Exodus 28, verse 2, it says, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. For glory and beauty. For beauty. And verse 3. So you shall speak. To all who are gifted artisans. Whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. That they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. That he may minister to me as priest. The world. Often doesn't value the incredible gift that you have. As a matter of fact, no one really takes your gift seriously. And the only time you feel any kind of credibility for your gift is if somebody puts big money into it. It's the ones who make the big money and get the awards and get the titles. And and so they're the ones who, you know, they feel fulfilled in what they do. And yet you, because uh, there's a lot of you in here who have been working hard in that industry and maybe are on the precipice. There's some of you that are on the precipice of incredible success. I see it actually. Uh, that there's some of you who are on the 
precipice of incredible success. But I want you to pay attention to something. Is there people right now that you're aspiring to, to become, but you don't want to be like them? You see who they are, but you're like, I don't want to be that person. You want their success, but you don't want all the baggage that they have and they come with. And you find yourself at a point of frustration. How can you be a light? <laughs> How can you be a light in a place that has so much darkness? And you're wondering whether or not you can even be a faithful Christian in a world that has so much darkness in it. And there are some of you who are in the midst of right now, just incredible discouragement because you feel your, your work isn't getting the recognition that it should get. You're incredibly discouraged because here's the thing. When God gifts creatives, he gives them imagination. Stay with me. I'm, if you're not a creative, I want you to pray for the creatives right now. There are, I just see people who are in fashion, all those people who raise their hand, people who are in fashion, uh, people who are um, in art, who are uh, uh, designing. If you're drawing, painting, designing, um, I just feel led right now just to, to speak for you, to speak to you. Uh, because this slammed me as I was reading in this time of reading today. So for all the creatives right now, I want I want you to be praying for them because there's, this is a season of incredible anxiety for you. This is a season of uh, incredible doubt. This is a season where you want to give up and the frustration. Absolutely, cakes. Absolutely. Definitely, cakes. This is a season of incredible frustration for you because you know that this is something deep in you that makes you who you are and yet you don't know how to sustain yourself in doing what you're called to do and you don't feel like you're getting the recognition and you don't feel like people see what you're doing and you don't feel like it's this is the frustration of the creative is that the creative sees something that nobody else sees they tap into dimensions that nobody else can tap into they're able to draw out and bring to light things that nobody can see on their own. They speak in incredible layers. They speak layers upon layers upon layers upon layers, revealing things that people would have never seen. And so because of that, your imagination leads you to a world that when you come back to your reality, it doesn't look like the world that you're imagining. And so you live in the tension of what can be and what is. And because you live in that tension of what can be and what is, you find yourself in an, in a state of perpetual frustration. I, I gotta, I'm just being led by the spirit right now to pray for you and to, to speak to you because this time of, of, of pruning for you is necessary. It's necessary because you are doing what God is calling you to do, not because you can or have a capacity to do it, but because that in and of itself is God's work. Ooh. Let me help you out, family. There are many of you that feel like the church doesn't support that. 
The church isn't about that. No one really values the artist. No one really values, oh, I'm a fashion designer. Usually they think that you don't have a real job. Or I do this particular thing. Ah, okay, whatever. Um, it is what it is. But what I want you to understand and what I want you to hear, please hear me very, very clearly because the Lord is leading me to speak to you, particularly for those who are going through a season right now, a dark season, um, a season of, of anxiety and depression, a season where you just don't know what to do next. You want to give up. But if you give up, then you feel like you're losing yourself as you're giving up. This is a really difficult season for you. So I want to really speak this into you. And I want you to hear this in Exodus 28. Remember these verses and you shall make holy garments for Aaron. When I saw that and I read that, I saw people who have these um, big sheets and they're designing dresses and, and, and shirts and suits. And, and, and I see artisans, people who are who are writing and designing and, and and drawing things that aren't are not and now they're becoming things that are just by the drawing so i see um i see i see um yeah i see fashion designers fashion uh, 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 uh drawers i see um um i see painters who are painting um i see abstract painters i see um, architects. I see architects because they're artists. Um, and I see them drawing things and, and writing things. I see, uh, yeah, I see interior, interior designers. I see interior designers who are, who are, who are drawing things that are not, and they're coming into existence. And so for many of you, I'm just, I'm just going with what I see. And for many of you, you, you have these designs and you're putting them on things and you're making things that are not as though they, and things that are not, and they're becoming things that are. And yet you're incredibly discouraged because no one values the beauty of what you do. So this is my word for you, family. This is my word for you. It says, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. What I'm saying to you is God cares about beauty. God is a beautiful God and he cares about beautiful things. There are those of you right now who are making beautiful things. And yet you feel like the world does not see the beauty in what you do and the beauty in who you are. And this is your word. The word is, is that God wants your beauty. He wants to use your beauty. He wants to use the beautiful things that you're making for his glory. And in verse three, it says, so you shall speak to all the gifted artisans whom have been filled with the spirit of wisdom. God has been using his spirit of creativity through you. I want you to hear this really clearly because some people that are like, man, I don't know whether or not I can live in this world, whether or not I can persevere in this world, whether or not I should just go back to doing something regular, something normal, but something keeps me here. And I feel like if I go back and just get a normal job and do the normal thing that I'll just, I feel like I lost my life. The reason why is because it's been a, become an intricate part of who you are because the spirit of God in you is creating things. It is the spirit of God in you that is creating. The creator God is creating through you because God cares about beautiful things. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by emotion as I say it because I hear some people right now who are being liberated and freed right now to go this whole time. I've been wondering how is it that I can do God's work? 
And what God is saying to you is, is by, by painting, you're doing God's work. <laughs> uh, by, 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 by designing beautiful dresses, you're doing God's work. By designing beautiful clothes, you're doing God's work. By painting beautiful paintings, you're doing God's work. You are revealing the beauty of God through the creative ability that the Spirit of God has given you. Notice that, 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 the, that the priest needed a garment, he needed a robe, but he needed a fashion designer. God needed a fashion designer who can design the robe that would distinguish the priest from the people. And what God is saying is that you now being the priest by God have been given a gift to distinguish the glory of God in all that you do. So family, move in the power of God. I want to pray for you right now that you would be encouraged in this time because the ashes in your life God is replacing for beauty. God is doing beautiful things and he's doing beautiful things through you. Father, I ask right now by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray for each and every person who is in this chat right now, every fashion designer, every artist, every digital designer, every graphic designer, every person who's uh, 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 an artist, every person who's creating, Lord, beautiful things for every architect, every engineer, every person who's in the business of creating things that are not and making them as they are. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would reveal to them that you are doing ministry through their creativity. That, Lord, you are working in them, Lord, to distinguish your beauty and your glory in this world. Father, I pray right now that you would give them strength and encouragement to know that even when the world doesn't affirm them, that, Lord, you are, you are profoundly, profoundly, profoundly affirming of them, Lord God. That, Lord, you know that you call them to be unique, peculiar people, to step into unique, weird, dark, peculiar spaces, to be light in them. So, Father, I pray right now that your light would shine through them. I pray that they would um, get a fresh, Lord, outpouring of your acceptance and your love for them, Father. I pray that they would see the work that you do through them as ministry, Father. And I pray right now that you would encourage them in this season, Father. I come against the spirit of anxiety. I come against the spirit of lack. I come against the spirit, Lord, of wanting to give up, of not wanting to persevere. I pray right now, Lord, that you would open doors. I pray, Lord, that you would open opportunities for them right now. That, Lord, that not only may they see your glory working through them, but, Lord, that the world may see that you are moving through them, that the world may accept and appreciate them, that, Lord, that you would put them in posture and position, Lord, to receive, Lord, sustainability. Father, I pray that you would bless their business. I pray you that you would bless that fashion business. I pray, I pray that you would bless, bless that artist. I pray that you would bless them, Lord God, Lord, that they would receive right now. <laughs> Lord, recompense and a reward for their commitment to do what you've called them to do. And I say that in Jesus' name. Amen.